You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Twenty-sixers, welcome to another episode of the December Twenty-sixer podcast. I am your host, Delicia. So happy to be back with you. First and foremost, just want to say thank you for the feedback that you've given on the interviews that we've released to date. We are enjoying the process of finding unique guests to focus on, and we're working on more great content. So I'm happy that you are enjoying it. We're going to get back to those interviews soon, but for this episode, we are trying a unique format. We're deviating from our normal program, and I have asked our producer, Demarcus Adisa, who also happens to be my real blood brother, to step in front of the mic and sit in and have a conversation with me. Sometimes I feel like we have some of our best chats after the episodes have wrapped or before we start recording when he's in the conversation as well with me or with the guests. So I thought we'd try this out and give you guys an opportunity to hear his voice and hear his perspective on a couple of things. So without further ado, Demarcus, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I'm not used to having a co-host. I will admit it takes some of the pressure off. Now that you're in front of the mic, what do you want to talk about? Ooh, just put the pressure on me, man. But I'm like Diddy, man. I can come from behind the boards and get on the mic. Can't stop. Won't stop. Bad boy, baby. And the segue that <laughs> can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> the segue that, you know, how do you put in your 20 hour days? How do you keep that bad boy mentality of handling the podcast, a personal brand, and professional life? Well, it's not 20 hour days anymore. And it took me having some health challenges to realize that that was not the way to go. So before I was burning the candle at both ends and working like crazy and not getting enough sleep. And I'm not saying that I get adequate rest every night now, but it is something that I talked about in a previous episode. You have to make sure that you, you give your body time to recharge. And that involves getting a certain amount of sleep. So for me, I try to make sure that I'm getting a decent amount of rest for a majority of nights. And then I have a couple of nights where I may stay up really late. So that's the first thing. 20 hour days, no more. That no does not happen. Not happening. Um, so it's that. And then it's just writing everything down. Like I'm a big proponent of lists. Sometimes I'll like complete a task and actually put it on the list and cross it off, even right. though it's already done, just so I can feel accomplished. But having things written down for me makes me feel like it's there. It's staring me in the face. I have to do something about it or it's just going to keep getting carried over from day to day. So it's just a little bit of a mind trick to make sure that I'm setting my intention for the day. I know what I have to get accomplished and I'm actually shooting for it. Right. It's like a little placebo effect because say, you know, I'm on my, on my list. I keep a list of things I need to do as well. Say it's just respond to an email. I'm going to respond to John Doe. I might go back and write email John Doe and cross it out. And it's like, ha ha, <laughs> I've accomplished something during the day. Right. It's just an accomplishment thing. It's, you know, small, those little small goals that help you feel like, you know what, I'm being productive. I'm making it happen. Right. Essentially, that's about it. So that's a big thing for me, making sure I get adequate rest, actually setting lists and trying to achieve them. I'm not saying that every day is a home run. There are some days where I miss the mark because I do have a demanding career. So sometimes emergencies come up or things that I just cannot avoid or things happen. Like today, for example, I sliced my hand open. So I spent the morning in urgent care, right? Obviously that changed my day, but here we are. Anyway, my hands bandaged up. I got the dermabond happening, got the tetanus shot, and I'm doing what I can in the evening to make up for that. So I think a lot of times overachievers, 26ers, we beat ourselves up when we don't actually stay on course. Right. But then we end up in like a rock bottom. Like, well, the day is ruined. I can't do anything now because I didn't get A, B and C accomplished before noon. And that's not necessarily the case. You got to figure out how to just salvage the day. So it's sort of like uh, what those fitness coaches say, like, you know, you don't if you were somebody who weighed like 500 pounds, you're not going to lose 200 pounds overnight. It's kind of like you got to figure out where you are and do what you can. So may just be starting off walking on a treadmill. So some like the the parallel that I would make to your situation is like, OK, you sliced your hand open. You had to go to urgent care this morning, get a tetanus shot and you're not necessarily able to go to work. OK, you can't dwell on that fact. What else can you get accomplished while you're waiting in urgent care? Oh, I can respond to some emails with the one good hand that I have. I could go through my text message, I message and return some text messages. Some people that I might have left on read yesterday. It's about 
optimization. Right. And not getting caught up in a moment every time something bad happens. Exactly. And I mean, even that's talking about it on a really minor scale. And that's really how I utilize my time. I responded to text messages that I missed yesterday um, because I was preoccupied. But the same principles apply on a larger scale as well. Sometimes we have what we think is a, a great opportunity and we lock ourselves into that. And when it doesn't work out for one reason or another, we're so focused on the fact that it didn't work out that we miss all the other opportunities that are sort of whizzing by. Right. And I see it happen all the time. People, I know people who are still talking about that deal that fell through in 2014 or the person that wronged them or what have you, or, you know, said they were going to do X, but didn't. And I'm just looking at them like, my dude, like, do you know how staying in that state of victimhood, do you know right. you are blocking the next set of blessings that could be coming your way? Because your energy is all about what did not happen before. Right. You can't, you got to let go of those barbershop stories. I could have, I could have went to college. That, <laughs> that was 89, my man. Like, got to let it go. It's 2018. And new, if you are someone who has talents and gifts, and that's all of us, even if you haven't tapped into it yet, we all have them. A new opportunity is going to present itself, but you have to be ready for it. And I think sometimes we just so get so caught up on the wrong things that we miss what else is out there. So focused right. on what left, be it people, romantic relationships, money, what you thought was going to work out and it didn't. If you talk to anybody who's made it at anything, they'll tell you that there were probably some failed partnerships along the way or some failed ventures right. or something they thought was going to be their big break that just didn't happen. That's where all the lessons come and the failures. But I think today there's a certain extra uh, degree of anxiety that people have and things weighing on them because of like social media, Facebook, your Twitter, your IG. You see, it's everyone's highlight reel. It's ESPN for everyone you know and people people you may not know, right? It, the best things that they have going on, and it can weigh on people. You know, I'm the same age as this person, same background, same education. Why? Aren't the things in my life clicking the way they are for the next person? Are you big on social media? Do you? No, I'm terrible with social media. So, like, how how often do you check your social media? Um, I am trying to get better now that this podcast is a thing. And, you know, you and I are constantly having conversations about needing to do more, needing to post more or what have you. So for me... I don't check social media necessarily every day simply because it's not always a conscious effort. Sometimes I'm just really, really busy. And also there's so much noise, like there's so right. much noise on social media. And for me, what's hard is I don't know if it's my profession or just who I am as a person, but I can see through inauthenticity. Is that a word? Inauthenticity. I believe so. I think so. I can see through inauthenticity. Or from disingenuine a, people. Exactly. From a mile away. So a lot of times I'll see these trite quotes or, you know, people basically trying to project that they're living their best lives. And I know that not to be true, right? Either, either because I know them personally or because you can just tell if you follow someone long enough, you can tell, right, if it's real or if it's not. So I just don't need all of that right. um, in my ear gates and eye gates. If you grew up in church, got to guard them portals, <laughs> you got to guard the portals, right? I just don't need all that noise. And if I have very little downtime, that's not how I want to spend it. So I will say that I was doing good for a while. I was doing well with like checking at least Instagram every day for the podcast. If we're talking about personal accounts, I may check my own personal Instagram like once every couple of weeks, um, oh. which is terrible. It's like you, you're not even living in this day and age if you don't if you don't check you're your talking like you got a flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> a Motorola talk about. I did right. have to talk about back in the day. Yeah. You got the Nokia brick, snake <laughs> and flying ribbon on the phone. A few weeks. That's. I mean, I understand, but like for in this day and age, people can't go like an hour without checking. They can't, media. right? And I will check maybe Facebook a little bit more, but that's simply because people are constantly sending me stuff on Facebook right. to watch. And granted, when there's like something big happening in the world, good or bad, social media is a great escape. So I don't want to act like I'm just so disciplined and like I live as a monk and I'm just not about all that extraneous stuff because come on, it adds levity to some really serious situations. Right. Or so, sometimes it just presents comedic relief like the royal wedding this weekend. The memes and the commentary for right. that were great, right? So I will use it as a little bit of an escape, but I just know for me to get accomplished everything that I'm trying to get accomplished, I cannot be on social media like everybody else. I just can't. And for me, 
to see all of that as a 36-year-old single childless woman, when I see people that I went to school with, either in high school or college or law school, who are progressing in their lives in a different way, namely, you know, on their second or third home, second or third kid, or if not that, at least moving towards that, getting married and all that stuff or engaged. For me, no matter, even with this podcast, all this stuff about be extraordinary on an ordinary day, it can be difficult to see all of that and stay in a good space and have peace about where I am in my life. So that staying away sometimes for, for periods of time is just a mechanism for me to stay grounded as well. Makes sense. Uh, so you, you stay away from unnecessary, unwanted, additional like anxiety on your life. I think, you know, I check my social media almost every day. Yeah, you know, those like, Instagram stories, you, you're big on that. Yeah, Instagram stories. But I keep it to a minimum because I don't like people knowing my patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't feel like my my patterns or what I do every day is the, is the world's business. But, you know, I share what music I like uh, if I go somewhere sometimes. It, it just depends on what mood I, I'm in. But I realize you can get sucked into a t- like a time. It's like a time warp almost. Mm-hmm. Like it's. You look at one thing, someone sends you something else and you start interacting or if there's like a funny post, you start reading the comments. The next thing you know, you burn like 40 minutes laughing at a meme or reading in the comments of people have captioned a meme. But I realize, you know, you sort of have to treat social media like how a parent would treat a small child. Like you ever go over right. to a friend's house, a real strict household, like after you finish dinner, you can watch TV for 45 minutes. And I feel like uh, circling back to the conversation we have earlier, like keeping tasks, like writing down tasks, which you need to accomplish for the day, but set aside a certain time during the day to actually view social media and have that mindless fun. So it could be, you know, an hour before bed that you go through Instagram and look at a bunch of things, but limited. So it doesn't take uh, con- control of you because, you know, someone will send you a message or something, you'll just get caught up in having a conversation. But if someone really wants to talk to you, they're not going to send you a DM on Instagram. They're going to give you a phone call or they're going to text message you or FaceTime you. Right. And I mean, I talked about this, I think it was in episode one about getting disciplined and setting limits for yourself on whatever it is that your outlet is, be it social media, you know, TV. I've talked about it before. I love billions. So that is, you know, one of my hours of the week that I take just for me. Sometimes I multitask, but if you watch billions, you know, you got to pay attention. So it ends up being an hour to decompress for the most part. So if social media is your thing, you know, I'm not saying that you've got to just completely unplugged. That's really not the world that we live in, unless you're someone who just doesn't have those accounts. But if you're going to do it, just don't make it that mindless thing that you turn to every time you have a free moment. Because for me, it's those small 10 minute, 15 minute, 30 minute gaps when you're commuting or, or whatever that is prime time for getting something else done, be it sending out informational emails or doing some research or writing a little bit or whatever it is that you're, you're trying to make happen. The little 10, 20, you know, 50 minute increments really do add up. Same principle applies to money. You know, we always wait for like these huge windfalls. I'm, I'm going to start saving when this happens or that happens. But the little steps are really what add up to big steps. Right. It's like when you come home at the end of the night and pull your chains in the jar when you were a kid. Right, exactly. At some point, you're going to take it to the penny arcade and you might have a hundred bucks. You might have a hundred bucks. You know what time it is. Endless mimosa time. <laughs> I don't know if it was a good idea inviting you in front of the mic. <laughs> anyway. So is there, you know, as far as planning, is there like a specific day? Is your day like Saturday, Sunday, where you kind of like chart out, you know, your broad goals for the week? Or your smaller goals? Is there like a certain time that you allot and to figure out how you're going to be productive and, you know, tackle being extraordinary or attempting to be extraordinary all seven days of your week? Well, see, that's the thing. I don't I don't attempt. I just am extraordinary. And really, you've got to change your mindset around that, because often and I use this language, too. Oh, I'm going to try to record a podcast episode. I'm going to try to book somebody for an interview. And that implies that there's uncertainty about whether it's going to happen or not. So for me, being extraordinary is just doing the best that I can that day. So if I'm moving with intention and I'm being productive, even if it's not peak productivity, it's enough for me to say I was extraordinary today. So... I stand corrected. I didn't you know. I didn't know I was in the presence of a Wakandan. <laughs> we don't try to do anything. We just do it. We man. just do it. That's what happens. But in any event, to get back to your question, I don't necessarily have a set day because my schedule requires some level of flexibility. I just have a lot going on. Somebody might pop up and say, oh, I'm available for an interview on Saturday morning. Okay, well, Saturday can't always be my, my planning time then. So for me, it does fall 
gen- generally between Friday night and Saturday. Okay. I'm sorry, and Sunday. So at some point, I try to take a couple of hours and just plot out two things, how I'm going to spend my time and how I'm going to spend my money. Those two things, if I have not spent time focusing on them every single week, something's going to feel out of control, be it my schedule, my budget or something. So I make that time at, at some point on Friday, from Friday night to Sunday for the following week. Right. That, that's how um, if you don't take the time to control those two things, that's how you end up at the end of the month looking back at the checking account. Like, like what happened? What happened? Right. Because if, you know, you don't plan properly, like, you know. You might find yourself eating out three times a day. Right. And it happens. I mean, and this is what my message always is to people. Whatever energy you put out there, that's what's going to be multiplied. So if you're like, oh, you know, I just don't want to think about money right now. I'm really busy. I'm going to just eat out. And then before you know, it's like six meals have gone by and you've eaten out all those times. You've got to really get control of whatever your limited finite resources are time, money, et cetera, and make sure that you're driving those things and they're not driving you. Right. I always find these questions super interesting because for me, this is such a way of life that when I answer questions about how I spend my time, how I stay focused, I always feel like my answers are really remedial, like basic information that everybody knows. But I guess that's not accurate because I get feedback on these podcast episodes every week and people are always like, oh, I was blown away. This changed my life. This really, you know, gave me a swift kick in the pants to get in the right direction. So, you know, you're intimately familiar with what I have going on, what I'm doing from the outside looking in. What do you see as maybe a benefit or a skill or a tool that I'm using to really operate at peak performance? From the outside looking in, uh, I would say when you started uh, your that planner that you had, the mm-hmm. journal for the entire year. So it had uh, macro and micro. You had your goals for the year and it was broken down like in a quarters, monthly, weekly goals. And I think a lot of times people, when they have like larger goals, they're overwhelmed because it's like, how am I going to get all the way, you know, to point Z? I'm at A, how do I get to Z? Um, so one thing that I noticed, you know, when you bought the planner and you created that planner for yourself and you blogged about this, if I'm not mistaken, right? I don't think I blogged about it, but we used it as a real life resource on real life Instagram resource. over at December 26th or on the gram. Create 65, the happy planner. The happy planner, right. Um, but I think that's one of the biggest things because I always notice that you keep your notebook with you and you're, you're always documenting things. So, uh, you know, taking those large goals and breaking them down into smaller goals and uh, things that you can work on a week and a weekly basis could be because sometimes it can be overwhelming. I mean, you hear people like, okay, I want to take a vacation here. I want to save for down payment on a house. I want to pay these bills off. And it's, it sounds like so much when you speak about it like that, but when you become very specific and you create like a lockstep plan, how to knock things off gradually, your weekly goals and your monthly goals, those things add up. So, you know, for instance, um, you know, you always talk about financial freedom and making sure you take care of um, paying your credit card. It's off. I've learned from you. So you start off small. You don't start off with the largest amount, but it, it's uh, once you achieve like that small car, let's just say you had to pay a card off that was $300. Once you accomplish that, you get that warm feeling and gratification of what inspires you to do more. And again, you keep in track in your journal of the, the, um, the word I'm looking for, the progress that you're making uh, to attain a bigger goal. So I think that's probably one of the things I've taken away from you. Yeah, I mean, and we'll probably get into finances a lot more on this podcast. We got a couple of good interviews coming up on that, which you guys will hear about very soon. But for me, I mean, just to keep it all the way real, I have no interest in living life just scratching and surviving. So, you know, I'm not about that, like, good times MO and... Keeping your head above water, <laughs> making, making you wave where you can. Yeah, no, no. So, I mean, if and no offense to anyone who's in that space, because I've been in that space as well. We did not grow up with money. Um, so grew up with, you know, in a working class family. So I know what that looks like. And I've experienced that as an adult, even post-education, way post-education. So for me, I was like, all right, I want my life to look differently. How does that happen? And, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at people who are wildly successful and have financial freedom and looking at them with with envy or as if it's something that's unattainable. 
But really, if you start small, you'll never have the big win if you really can't get the little wins. And you may be saying to me like, oh, that makes no sense. Look at all these people who come from nothing and and win the lottery or, you know, who are celebs who use their talent and get the big check. Let me tell you something that I know to be true. I know it to be a fact because of my profession. There are many people that you see on television that you know by name who look, they look like on the outside, they have all this amazing stuff and they're spending a lot of money, but many of them are in the red. So the same problems that all of us regular folks have with money, where as soon as you get it in, it's going back out and you're not saving or making wise investments or planning for the future. A lot of people who make seven, eight figures are going through the same exact thing. And that's why the minute they're not on top professionally or something goes wrong, you hear stories about their house having a tax lien on it or going into foreclosure or them having to file bankruptcy or in some kind of dispute where they've got to turn over their financial records and you find out they have like no money in the bank because they still have that poor man's mentality, even though the money is greater. So I would say, and there's some, some, you know, people who are, have deep pockets who are really savvy and are in a great position, but I will tell you, there are a lot of people who you think are doing really well who, who aren't. So for me, it was important to cultivate those good habits from ground zero. And even though, you know, I'm probably at like, I don't know, level three of all the financial goals that I want to accomplish. I, for where I am in my life, I feel pretty good about that. I do not carry credit card debt at all. And for a while, I didn't realize that so many people do. But that's America's dirty little secret. A lot of people who are really successful with multiple degrees are carrying a balance over month to month to month, which is just not the move. So when I got into this planner thing, it was really twofold to track my time and to track my expenses and make made, I was making sure that I was eking out as much money as I could to start chipping away at those financial things that I wanted to get off my list. Right. And I think it's important, even if you have the degrees and you have the solid, the salary and the job, still keep that idea of thrift in the front of your mind. Something that I noticed that you do is you're still looking in the coupon section that comes in the newspaper when it's time for groceries. You're not just grabbing things off the shelf. You're still doing the things that we were taught when we were children. It's like, don't grab the first thing you see in the store. Actually look at the price and see what's going on. Exactly. And I make great money, you know, by by U.S. standards. I have an advanced degree that allows me to command a certain salary, but that doesn't mean that I am going to throw money down the drain. I'm just not going to do that. So wherever I can trim the fat, I'm going to trim the fat. And that's the first thing I tell people when they're like, I need to get better with my money. What do I do? I'm like, you know what? Don't do anything for 30 days except track everything. Just track where you spend your money. You know, if it's a latte, I don't care if it's $4.50, write that down. Whatever you spend money on, track it. And then the next thing I encourage people to do once they've tracked everything is look at everything that's not a necessity. So if you spend, for the sake of easy calculation, let's say, $5 a day on a latte at Starbucks or some other hipster coffee shop. And you do that every day, Monday through Friday, when you go to work. Five times five is $25 a week. Right. Times 52. What is that? $1,300. So that's $1,300 in a year that you spent on coffee. $5 a day doesn't seem like a lot, but... I know I can do quite a bit with $1,300. Now, if that's your thing, that's your guilty pleasure. I'm not saying there's any issue with that. But if somebody's coming to me and they're like, I can't take a vacation or I can't afford to invest in my business or I can't afford, you know, to contribute to my dream by taking a new class. I'm always asking, all right, are you looking at all the places where you spend money? And are you saying to me that there is no area in which you can pull funds from and sacrifice one thing to be able to invest in this thing over here? And sometimes the answer is correct. I don't have anything left. I realize that everyone's not in a position where they have disposable income. But I'm a firm believer that if you are being a good steward over your money and you are actively seeking ways to create opportunities to make more money, it will come. But if your budget is all over the place and you've not proven yourself to be someone who can manage, even if you get more money, it's not going to be allocated the way you need it to be anyway, because the skill set's not there. Right. So how you do anything is how you do everything. How you start off with something small. If you can't handle, you know, a tax refund, 
how you expect to handle a million dollar check exactly. later on down the line. So Delisha Orman with these <laughs> financial advice and details. So how would you go about tracking your spending? Are you doing it the old school way, pen and paper, creating some sort of ledger? Or are you like in the modern age, you know, with men, what, what sort of tools are you using to track all of your spending? When I first started, I had literally a little small mini binder that I created where I was writing everything down. And I had like a little pocket folder. Yeah. Why do I just imagine you like over a desk in candlelight with a quill, like a big, <laughs> big feather, like just penciling all this stuff in like Steven from Django, from Django into, into the accounting books? Listen, I am an analog girl in the digital world. Right. I still love a good pen or pencil and paper. It's just who I am. I'm a little bit old school in that way. So for me, it was important to like write it down, see it and feel it. I would gather all my receipts and at the end of every day or every couple of days, I would enter them. You know, as I paid bills off, I would check them off. That's just the way I had to start for me to feel like I was in control. Then eventually, when I got some momentum going, I moved over to an app. I used to use Mint like 100 years ago, uh, but now I'm, I am on Every Dollar, which I think also was featured on a Real Life Resource, one of those posts. Every Dollar is endorsed by Dave Ramsey, who's, of course, a financial guru. Most people, if you're into financial things, have followed him or, or read something he's put out at, at one point or another. But Every Dollar, for me, is great. And as hard as it was for me to move from pen and paper, why I love it is because they provide real-life updates of the percentage of spend for whatever category you've entered. So at the beginning of the month, you have your category set with uh, ceilings, right? Or thresholds. So the money you want to spend eating out or on entertainment or clothes or self-care or et cetera, et cetera. And you can actually enter each one of those transactions and it'll show you. So it'll show you if you have spent 70% of your entertainment budget the second end of the second week of the month. So now you've got to figure out how to make 30% stretch. So for me, I'm never making a game time decision about can I afford this expense because I know what my categories are. And if it's something where I'm going to deviate from, you know, my planned threshold for a specific category, then I've got to pull that money from somewhere. So for me, it gives me a really both a granular and a high level, that macro and micro look of uh, at where my money is going. So I have moved over into the digital world and I am using every dollar. And since Orman's name came up and Ramsey's name came up, let me just say this, because I don't subscribe to everything like under Dave Ramsey's plan. You've really got to got to be a spendthrift and only spend money on necessities in the beginning when you're trying to pay off credit card debt and and put together your emergency fund. For me, I say as a 26, you have to figure out what is important to you and you have to look at opportunity cost. So you might be really busy and saying, OK, I don't have time to clean my own home, but because I have these financial goals, I can't really afford to pay somebody to clean. Now, if you really can't afford it, I'm not saying go into debt, right, to have someone clean your house. But if it's a situation where you have the money, it just means you, you meet your financial goals a little bit more slowly. If that's what it's going to take to create time and space and energy for you to really be productive in another area that's important to you, that's the opportunity cost. So you may, you know, pay somebody 75 bucks to clean your apartment or what have you. But if that's giving you four hours of, of your life back to work on dream realization or some other level of productivity, to me, that's worth it. Something that's going to yield dividends that are much greater in the long term. Right. And even if, you know, to make a parallel to that, if you were actually going to a gym and actually working out, even the gym has cheat days, like days where you, you know, you might take a day off. You have that cheat day on your diet where you can eat cake or eat a slice of pizza, but that's your release. Because if you, you know, you take the Dave Ramsey approach, he's like, strict disciplinary. No, you never break. And usually from my experiences in life, when you stick to a routine where there's like no room for you to cheat anywhere, it usually falls apart. You spin out eventually. Something something really dramatic happens in your life and you kind of get knocked off. You're like, whatever. I'm going inside a Red Lobster and I'm getting all the biscuits. I might get two lobster tails to go along. I'm not going to Red Lobster though. I'm really not a fan for of chain restaurants. So 
Listen, <laughs> I know you got advanced degree money. Some of us just got bachelor state school money. But when's the last time you went to Red Lobster? That's real. I mean, uh, that was just a joke, but I'm, <laughs> I, I haven't been to Red Lobster in like three years, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, your whole thing is always you're always going to eat well, no matter no matter what. what's going on. That So that's your thing. That's your pleasure. That's never going to leave your budget that you're going to eat. Well, you're going to eat lamb shoulder no matter what. No matter what. Nothing wrong with that. So we all have our things. I mean, I think I've mentioned this in a previous episode, too. Like Mark Cuban always talks about how he didn't take a vacation for like seven years when he was building his business. Vacations are just what I need because of the way I am wired. Even if I take a staycation, I am going to work just by virtue of being in my natural habitat. For me to be able to really unplug and recharge, I have to go to another environment, a new surroundings where I can really just say, okay, you know what? I left all that work back home and I'm just going to be here and relax. And I mean, in the spirit of full disclosure, I can't tell you the last time I had 100% work-free vacation. It always turns into a working trip, but I'm much more successful in at least getting some downtime and, you know, self-care in if I leave my state or the country. That's just what I need. I I need that time to recharge my battery. Some people don't. For me, that's important. And I'm not going to wait until I reach some incredible milestone to start taking vacations again. Right. And some people can eat beans and rice every day and ramen noodles. And me, I like a little lamb shoulder, as you said. Right. I might need some crab legs in my day, but I'm not buying like $500 belts and, and, uh, you know, Louis designer sneakers. Yeah, exactly. We all have our things. Right. I'm I'm good with one pair of shoes, but that, that, that's what I like to splurge on. Mm Mm-hmm. So you say you like vacations are your big splurge thing that you go off. I I know you very well because you are my sister. So we grew up together. I know you're not like a clubbing type of person. Not um, happening. Not happening. You're not standing on the white couch. No. Holding up champagne bottles with the sparklers. That's not you. And, you know, you can't take vacations every week or every month. You know, maybe you can slide it in a quarter every quarter. But I mean, in the meantime, when you're not going out of the country or going to a different place, like how do you online? Where where do you find your peace? A couple of different places. So self-care for me, I'm big on spas and massages. And that's also because a lot of us see that stuff as luxuries, right? But it was a therapist that told me for some people, if not all, it is a necessity, particularly because stress and being overwhelmed can manifest itself as physical ailments. So for me, that's just making sure that I'm centered and aligned. You know, my physical, emotional and psychological well-being are all aligned by going and getting a massage to work out those kinks and those knots. But Outside of that, I make a concerted effort to keep my circle diversified. So living this New York life is easy to just fall into a crowd of people who are always on the go, always on the hustle, trying to make something happen. I mean, that's just the New York way. But I keep friends in other cities. I keep friends in other parts of the metropolitan area who have no ties to this world of entrepreneurship, of entertainment, media, nothing. They have their jobs. They enjoy it. They lead a more simplistic life for them. And what I mean by simplistic is just they're not on the scene here. Um, They have their routines. And the reason that I do that, I'm not saying I'm, I'm friends with these people for one particular purpose, just that, but it is a great byproduct of having relationships with them. But I make a concerted effort to spend time, even when my life gets busy, because it helps me really unplug. When I go out with folks in New York, it always ends up into this conversation of like, what do you have going on? Oh, what do you have going on? Oh, I'm working on this thing. Oh, I started a blog. Oh, I started a new business. I'm trying to get involved in cryptocurrency or whatever. And before you know it, the entire conversation is spent talking about your work or whatever it is you're you're trying to accomplish. And your mind, that's not, to me, that's not a break. That's not an escape. I'm still going on all the things that I'm focused on day to day. So for me, keeping a diverse circle with people who don't care at all about that other stuff, that's a way for me to unplug and unwind and just have dinner or meet for drinks where we're just talking about anything, pop culture, what's going on back in my hometown, whatever, just anything that's not that, all the things that I'm working on. So keeping a diverse circles, you know, keeping connections with your friends who may not be, may be in different industries or may live a little bit more simpler 
lives than you live. So you can disconnect and have this conversation because New York is definitely a pretentious place. If you ask me, a lot of people are suffering. What do you do? And they want you to run down your entire resume like it's happy hour. I don't want to talk about work. I want to talk about something like let's talk about sports. Let's talk about music or, you know, your family, possibly. Right. And, you know, and people do that stuff, too. But oftentimes it's disingenuous. They're just trying to if they want something from you, they'll start to get into that other stuff. Just right. keep the conversation going. But everybody has an angle in New York. And New York has served me well. I'm not going to act like it did not. You know, it's where I launched my practice. It's where I've built my Rolodex, New York. And the connections that we have here are the reason that, you know, we're doing interviews and all this other stuff. So I don't want to make it seem like it's all bad. But sometimes you just need a break from that. Like that race of trying to figure out who has the most popping right now, for lack right. of a better term. Also, when somebody invites you to something in New York, they could be looking for something because you think that you're going out for a drink, but they really want you to buy a ticket to some gala, to some sort of event, to attend a workshop. Oh, it man. costs to be friends with people. It costs to Here. breathe in New York. <laughs> I mean, just any great relationship. I mean, I've met people one week and the next week I'm getting a fundraiser gala email and they're like, oh, you know, can you buy a $150 ticket to this thing? And I mean, they're all great causes and you do what you can. But New York is a unique, unique place. I don't even think LA is the same. LA has got a different, somebody's always trying to shove a script into someone's right. hand. They think who has power connections, but New York's got its own vibe. It's, it's got its own energy and it's great for the hustler. I'm not going to say that it's not. If you, you know, you're trying to make it and you're giving it um, all you got, you will reap rewards in New York, but it can be exhausting, which is why I make it a point to get out of here and go, you know, see my friends in other places and get their point of view you know, because they couldn't care less about a lot of the things that I'm working on here and who I met and what I have going on. Would you say that circle uh, keeps you grounded? You know, uh, being coming as far as you've come, right? Working at the places you work, being at the point in the career that you are. Would you say that circle and disconnecting keeps you grounded and focused? Because it's easy to come here and have things start clicking for you. Mm -hmm. And you have that Diddy mentality, like, hate me now. Like you're in the club <laughs> with the fur coat, like the world is my oyster. It's a couple of different things that keeps me grounded because my circle of friends, I know a lot of people, a ton right. of people. My Rolodex is pretty deep now, but a lot of those relationships are the we got to get up relationships is what I call them. And if you don't know what that term means, it's we got to like, connect. We have to connect. We have to meet up. And, and, and that's a New York thing, too. Like, oh, you know, you run into someone at an event. And you're like, I haven't seen you in forever. We got to meet for brunch or a drink or what have you. And you spend a year trying to schedule and sync calendars and it just doesn't happen. Right. Um, but outside of that, right, I know a lot of those people, but those deep connections that I have, that circle is very, very small. Those are the people, you know, when you're talking about your village that you want to create, we, you know, the, that's the peers, right? The peer motivators, the homies, as I have mentioned in the past, the people that you can keep it all the way real with. So when things are not going well or when they're going great, I know that those folks have my best interest in, at heart and they'll pull my coattail as well if they feel like I'm off kilter or left of center. So it does help me to stay grounded. That's not the only thing that helps me to stay grounded, but it is a huge portion of that, keeping a circle around me that is the realist with people who are not in competition with me, who are not looking for anything from me other than my presence and my friendship. That is important, especially if you live in a, a metropolitan area. Right. And to kind of piggyback off that last question, how would you say you have that circle, right? And you live between these two worlds. How do you stay authentically yourself with, with within those two worlds? Because I feel like, and correct me if you think that I'm wrong, but I feel like as of late, I've been running into the same person over and over again in the city, the same type of black person. Mm -hmm. They have the glasses, then the real unassuming personality. And they're like, the way they explain it, they have that podcast TED Talk voice. And I mm -hmm. think, does that make sense? And they have the hand motions to go along with it. And I'm like, is this really who you are or is this how you're posturing because you feel like this is who you need to be in 2018 to advance in your career or to move within these circles? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you brought up TED Talk. And I don't mean to sound hypocritical by saying this because... I obviously have a motivational podcast, but everybody's a motivator now. Like everybody, you know, has their quotes and their their photos online of, you know, them living out their dreams and trying to provide guidance and advice to other people. So part of it is just the nature of the beast in the world that we live in, where people are like always in that TED talk. I'm at a higher level of consciousness mode. But 
I think there's a culture has been created where a lot of people feel like that's who you have to be to succeed. I think for me, I don't know that I've always had the ability to just be who I am. I grow, grew up hanging in the balance between two worlds, like going to really prestigious schools and having people there who come from well-to-do, well-known families and have had everything, every possible resource and enrichment opportunity handed to them on, the sil- on a silver platter. Then also I had this other world of friends and family and community who were very blue collar and, and scratching and surviving and trying to figure out how to like not be too much of the other in front of the wrong group, if that makes sense. Right. You know, so I don't want to be seen as too preppy. I'm not going to say what I really want to say <laughs> uh, in front of one group and then or quote two F in in front of the other group. So I have spent a lot of time figuring out who I authentically am and who, where my voice is and what my voice is. So, and that's just come, that has come with time. It's not something that happened overnight. It has come with a lot of therapy and other stuff. So I, I think there are a couple of things that work. First, people just buying into feeling like that's who they have to be to have maximum impact or make the right connections here in the city, but also them not knowing really who they are underneath that or not being comfortable with who they are and how they're going to be perceived. Right. And I think um, it's you have to come to a point in your life where it's a synthesis, right? Your thesis is like, you know, your background, your antithesis is like maybe the world that you're placed in. So you were placed in, you know, going to these prominent day schools, going to these Ivy League institutions, working, you know, for these large companies that, you know, you're kind of the only person like yourself in the space and you're synthesizing the two because, you know, you're not, some people say, oh, she doesn't keep it real anymore. She's not keeping it real. No, I've grown. I've seen some more, seen some different things. I've experienced different things. And these are a part of, these things are a part of who I am. And I'm a new synthesized version of myself. But at the core, I'm still the same person, the same type of character. I just might speak a little different in certain settings. And... You know, I I think I didn't realize how much of a radio voice I had, like news reporter voice, until I started doing this podcast. But, you know, having been in the, the environments that I'm in uh, my entire life that I've, I've been in, I realized that's just a part of who I am. Right. My our ability, ability to articulate and how I speak, that is it. That That is at my core. I take pride in how I communicate information. And ev- that's not for everybody. And some people may say, oh, you are different or, you you know, you have changed or what have you. But no, th- this is me and all of the pieces that make me up and all the experiences that I, I've had, they are a part of my persona and I value them all equally, but I don't feel a need to minimize one side over the other. And I probably didn't didn't stop feeling that need till I got over the age of 30. So it takes, I think, a lot of internal work for people to come to peace and come to grips with whatever makes them them, the good, the bad and the ugly, and realizing that everything that happens in your life you know, whether it's success, failure, something that was outside of your control, trauma, et cetera, shapes you and is really pushing you in the direction of whatever you've been put on this earth to do. So even some experiences that I don't necessarily have fond memories of now, I understand how they contribute to where I am in the world right now. All of it adds to that. So, you know, I had referenced the fact that I went to prep school, right? I've been around kids with money my entire life. right? And nothing can rattle your confidence. Like, you know, people all talking about how they went to Aspen, (laughs) you know, for for winter break. And they're like, oh, where did you go? My grandmother's house, like, you know, 10 minutes away. And you start to compare. And I had to learn how to figure out what my unique value proposition is to that community and what I offer could offer, even though it wasn't a trip to my family's vacation home or what have you. So it got me in the mentality of finding my own intrinsic value outside of material things and outside of money, even outside of family structure, because that even looked differently than Mm -hmm. looked different than most people that I was in community with at the time. So we live in a culture of shame when things are not perfect. We spend so much time trying to make them look perfect because there's this perception that it should be, even though we all know we have, we all have the skeletons and we all have things that even families with the most money who look, you know, amazing on paper to the outside world, they have their, their dirt too. Trust me, I know, because I've heard about it. 
So if we can move past the place of shame to a place of acceptance, self-love and self-acceptance, the more you put that out into the world, the more of that is what you're going to get back. Right. Because you uh, you have your unique value proposition. If you're in that space and you're different from everyone, you're going to bring a different perspective. And I think a lot of times in this society, a lot of times people like place a lot of value on like professions or titles or possessions. And those things can be important to a certain degree, but really your wealth is in you and who you are, your character, the things, your perspective that you may bring to a situation. Right. So, you know, a lot of I went to some of those schools temporarily. I'm not going to get into my background story, but I, I was in those schools as well. But, you know, one thing I noticed about those types of kids, they don't they didn't have the type of relationship that we had with our grandparents mm-hmm. because grandparents live a lot of times their grandparents live in a nursing home somewhere. Right. Exactly. Or have, you know, the grandparents are still in the house, but there's like aides that live with the family that help take care. And you kind of visit grandma when you have to once a month. Right, exactly. So, you know, I think it taught me to value relationship. And um, I I mean, I learned empathy from my my grandmother. So there are certain intrinsic skills that I use every day that I picked up from her um, as well. So you just have to find that, you know, for your own personal story. And the more you can get to a place of acceptance about what has happened in your life. And, you know, I I know it's become such a cliche to say that, you know, nothing's happening to you, but all of it, I mean, and I'm still discovering probably every week something else where the dots start to connect and it comes full circle. And I'm like, I don't know why it happened then, but now I... I see why that was an important skill that I need to needed to pick up. It, it doesn't mean when you're in it. Let me just say this, because people hear this stuff and they think that they have a requirement now to be Zen through everything. That's being dishonest with yourself. Right. If you're in a situation that is angering you or causing you pain, it's actually healthy to acknowledge that and say, This doesn't feel good right now, but what you don't want to do is get stuck there. So you have to say, this doesn't feel good right now, but at some point it will feel better. It may not feel great, but it will feel better. And I I will be able to draw from this for one reason or another. So you have to keep your mindset there because it points you in the direction of progress as opposed to a place of being in a rut. So we talked a lot about your strong points, um, what advice you had to offer, but be vulnerable for a second. Um, what is something that you feel like you can work on or a skill you can improve in your own life? You know, having peace about where I am, that is an ongoing practice and something that I'm always working to get better at. As much as I talk about this on the podcast, about not having guilt, about missteps in the past or, you know, regrets, et cetera. Not that I have regrets per se, but for me, I'm making a conscious decision every day to say, you know what? I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Even if I'm here because of something that I did or didn't do, right? It may not even all be outside of my control. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And specifically with my personal life, because I feel like, I mean, you've watched me (laughs) grow up and you've watched me through adulthood. I feel that I'm like a goal crusher. When I decide on something and I have a laser-like focus about it, it may take me a few years, but it will get accomplished. I'm also a little bit type A, so I'm good with like dotting I's and, and crossing T's. But a lot of things about my personal life and my romantic life are not fully in my control. So the reality of it is, yes, I'm a woman of a certain age and I do want a family. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm watching that happen with a lot of people that are close to me that I care about. So sometimes I have that moment where I'm thinking, oh man, I'm missing out or my time is running out and something has to happen and I don't know how to make it happen. I can keep meeting people. I can keep remaining open, but it's not fully within my control. And the reality of it is because of how crazy my life is and how focused I am on all these other things, everyone's not okay with that. And I have to accept that, right? So for me, the human side of me has to fight that despair or feelings of envy sometimes or just like lack that I'm missing this family aspect that other people have. And that is a daily internal conversation that I'm, I'm having. It, it may not be as intense <laughs> every day, the same level of intensity, but that's something because I am 36. I don't know if I've ever said my age on here, but because I am 36, it is something that's always in my mind. So I have to remind myself that this is my journey. And it is a little unconventional when it comes to marriage and family, you know, for my level of education and my career, 
because I'm not one of these women, as, as hard as I work, I'm not one of those women who's like, I don't want to be married. I don't want all these things. I'm all about my career. I have a very nurturing side as well, which I feel like you can attest to. Right. A very domestic side also. So those are things that I, I want. And because they're not here yet, and I'm also looking at a timeline and the, the quote finite amount of time I have to accomplish certain goals, like having children, there are days where that gets in my head and I can feel that anxiety creeping up. So I work and it's something I'm continuously working on to be consciously at peace with what is and what isn't happening in my life. And sometimes that means finding gratitude and saying, you know what, I may not have those things, but I also have the freedom to put out content in the world and, you know, meet up with people and go really hard towards the other things that I want to make happen. So I have the time and space to do that. Right. And that's not a shot against people who don't. Right. And like because for for their for their lives, they're where they're supposed to be and they're fulfilled with marriage and family or trying to find the appropriate balance. But for where I am, I try to find gratitude in the fact that I do have the freedom and space to really thrive and exhaust my potential in a way that I may not be able to when that if and when that next chapter of my my life comes. So for me, it's it's that, you know, recognizing my own humanity and I'm going to get down sometimes because there are things that I desire that are not here and try as I I may, I'm not making them happen any more quickly. So sometimes I do have to take a step back and assess and say, you know what, you have a really great life. You're building an even better life for, your, for yourself. And that is one aspect that is missing right now. But you need to have gratitude for what is here in exchange for that or, you know, outside of that. So that's what I work on, fo focusing on conscious gratitude and conscious peace about it. It sounds kind of cheesy, but it's that old cliche saying that stop and enjoy the flowers. Right. Because sometimes, you know, we can't see the flowers for the trees. We know what we want. And that's that we could have seven of 10 things here already that we really want, that we feel like would make our lives complete. But we get so hung up on the three. And those three things could be major. It could be your top three that we forget to focus on what is here. So, you know, even with this podcast, there's so much that we want to accomplish. And, you know, so far we want to take it that sometimes I have to take a step back and say, you know what? In the first hour that that podcast episode was out, 15 people listened which in the grand scheme of media is like nothing. But the fact that just, you know, over a dozen folks jumped on that episode the minute it, it dropped tells me that we're onto something and people's ears are open. So it's using those things to um, help you stay at peace in the process. And with that said, I think this is a good note to end on. Well, thanks for stepping in front of the mic for an episode and trying something new with me. DeMarcus is usually on the mixing board and dealing with talent, et cetera, et cetera. But he stepped out of his comfort zone a little bit for today and I'm appreciative. No problem. Bad boy can't stop, won't stop. Uh -uh. <laughs> DeMarcus has a serious sense of humor. All of it didn't really come out in this episode, but if we ever run a blooper reel, you'll know what I'm talking about. In any event, don't forget to find us on social media. We're everywhere December 26er. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe. And lastly, as we say every week, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening you for to the listening December 26th podcast. I am your host, host Delisha. This, this episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thoval. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26th. ER.